university and I do some counseling um, in the woodlands and that sort of thing. So I double dip a little bit and both sides of it. And so anyway, I'm going to talk to you today about emotionally focused therapy. And really the, what Paul had mentioned before I came on is just so perfect for, for EFT. And you'll hear me refer to it as EFT. Because what it does, what EFT does is it helps people to understand how to communicate with each other in a very real way. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the overview of EFT. It's not in your handout, so if you want to make some notes, feel free to. I'm going to, I'm going to have you take maybe a little bit of notes before we get into the nuts and bolts of it. Um, EFT is really about helping people identify patterns in their relationships, and we're going to talk about with married people. Um, it helps us to identify patterns in the relationship that are maladaptive. It helps us to identify sometimes the coping mechanisms we use to protect ourselves in terms of being safe. But they're not the, the secondary emotions, which are the real emotions that we feel for why we might be getting upset about something. See, the anger, the um, irritation, a lot of the times those are secondary emotions. The primary emotions have to do with feeling hurt, scared, and, and, and unsafe in a certain way. And so what this is about is helping people to identify what those coping emotions are and how to get to and how to help them move into the more secondary real emotions as I call them so that they can have a more open honest communication with their spouse. Now as Paul was talking about learning how to release and being down well this is really important because when people move into their secondary emotion when they are talking about these very real feelings of being hurt and and fearful those are more vulnerable. People have a hard time, right, being open and sharing things that, are, that, could, that could open them up to be hurt. And it's important for, for us to realize with, with couples, there are different ways that they go about this. And with a woman, the main question is, am I loved? And with the man, the, the more underlying question is, am I adequate? And so in a relationship, you're going to have the withdrawer and the pursuer. Now, the withdrawer is, I'm not going to say it's always the man, but the, the typical pattern is the pursuer may be the woman, the withdrawer may be the man, but that's not always the case. Sometimes the withdrawer is a woman. Like, for example, my sister Kathy and her husband, my sister is the withdrawer, and her husband is the one that wants to talk about things. In my relationship, I'm totally, well, you guys can probably just imagine I'm the pursuer. And so, and my husband is the withdrawer, so I'm chasing him all over the house. i got to find out what's going on with him. And he's so scared to death of me that he's just, like, retreating to wherever he can, usually the garage. Um, so we're going to talk about this, and every relationship has this dynamic. But as you know, and for most of us who are married, this relationship can get very toxic if we don't put it together right. And, and those walls can get so built that it's hard to see each other through that wall. And all of a sudden you're thinking, how in the world did I ever marry this person? And, and to me, this is a lot about spiritual warfare too, because I just believe that the enemy wants to keep us apart. And so what we want to do is we want to help, help couples just break down that wall and to learn to be vulnerable and to learn to open up and have that real communication. And what's so ironic about it is that when we do, see, what, what's ironic about it is we feel like if we're vulnerable and we're not strong, right? Because sometimes the anger and the irritation, that's, those feel like stronger feelings. 
but they're really, they're really not. It's a, it's a lie. It's not that you really feel stronger, or you feel stronger, but it's not that you're really stronger. It's just that you're fearful, and that's your way of separating. And so we think if I am vulnerable, we compare that with weakness, with weakness. And so if I'm weak, am I lovable, or am I adequate? And the irony of it is, is that it's only when we're vulnerable that we can be loved, right? It's, um, and I'll get into this a little bit more, but when we get into couples communicating, when, uh, using the, the husband as the example, when he allows himself to go into that secondary emotion and talk about um, feeling inadequate or feeling like maybe I can't provide for my family and this really terrifies me because I just want her to, to know how much I love her and that I'm going to do anything to protect her. And, and when he gets into that and he starts talking about how fearful he is or how inadequate he might feel, and when you turn to the wife and say, so what are you, what's going on with you as you hear him say that? And she almost invariably in is going to say, it makes me want to love him more, it makes me want to hug him. It make, so what that does is it draws, them, it, it draws them closer together. And so in that vulnerability, it opens up the door for that closeness and the intimacy and the attachment that's really needed to heal whatever may be going on. And so what we want couples to be able to do is we want them to be able to create a new dance. See, with emotionally focused therapy, we're identifying this negative cycle, this negative dance that they get into, right? And so sometimes it may be... Um, and I, I refer to my husband and I a lot just because <laughs> we're, such a, we're such a great specimen for this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, like, with uh, my husband, he might say something to me or I might say something to him. Well, but you do this and you do that. You do. So we get into this one-upping sometimes. And it's only when one of us backs down and says, well, I just don't know. I just, I'm scared sometimes about how, and then all of a sudden, he meets me in that, in that moment, or I meet him in that moment. And so it's not that couples aren't going to fight. It's not that they're going to um, di not disagree, of course, because we're married. But what we're going to do is we're going to learn a different dance in terms of how we communicate and relate in that way. Because if we were so much alike, you know, I mean, we have to be able to appreciate each other's differences. We can be alike in a lot of ways, but we also have to appreciate the differences in that it's okay that we're different. It's okay to disagree. And, and we, even when we disagree, I still love you so much. I'm still there for you. And so, okay, let's talk about um, what EFT can do. EFT, what it, what it is, is an experiential approach focused on promoting the more secure patterns of interaction. So when we say it's an experiential approach, what this means is that we're looking at the dynamic between two people. And we're pointing out the observations that we're making. Like when, when he says this, we want them to enter into their dance. So tell me what's going on. When, when you're at home, what happens? And of course, you're going to get it. They're going to say, well, when I do this, and then, th then he's going to say, well, yeah, but you do that. And, you, and, and we're afraid of that, right? Sometimes we don't want them to start arguing in front of us. Because then we're like, this is going to get out of control. But it can be, it, we, don't want them, we don't want it to get out of control. But when you permit a little bit of that, what you can do is identify their dance. And so then you can say, this is what happens, isn't it? This is what happens when you talk about this, then you talk about that, and this is what happens. This is the dance, isn't it? And, so, and it's okay. 
It's not that you have to fix it right then, because you're not going to be the one that fixes it. You're going to guide them into fixing it. Okay. Um, it helps them to identify stuck patterns of interaction that are informed by their negative affect. So you're going to help them to identify these stuck patterns, so the, the ruts that they get into. And then it fosters individual awareness and their experience of more adaptive emotional responses and attachment-related needs. So it's going to help them to be more aware of these emotions that they're feeling, their primary, how they react when something happens, and why they react that way. And then it's going to facilitate the expression of a, the emotional experience and attachment-related needs between the partners. So what that means is it's going to help them to understand how they react together, not just individually, but what happens together when they're in this pattern. Um, and, and the goals of EFT are to expand and reorganize these key emotional responses um, that includes this emotional dance. And then to create, we're going to help to create a shift for them. We're going to help them to see how to create a new dance, a new way of relating to each other. And yes, communication has a lot to do with it, but when you look at what emotionally focused therapy stands for, it's about not just what's coming out of your mouth, which is great, and, and that's how we relate to each other, but it's also about um, the emotional charge behind it. And so we want them to be able to relate emotionally, because we all know that it's not just what comes out of our mouths, right? A lot of the times it's what doesn't come out of our mouth, but we still get the same message. So it's about the emotional charge, not just so much the, the verbal communication. So how we feel about it. And there are times that you might not say anything at all about something, and you may not really, you're like, you, you get it, you understand, you know, that there's, you're okay with whatever has happened, right? And so being silent doesn't necessarily mean that you're upset, but it's important that your partner understands what that silence is about too. So it's about relating the emotional experience behind it and to foster the creation of a secure bond to recreate that. So you hear me talking about bond and attachment because emotionally focused therapy is based a lot on attachment theory. So, you know, uh, John Bowlby did a lot of work on attachment. And it's so amazing when we think about how, um, you know, as God's creatures, when we are born, we are so dependent. Just like as adults, we should be de as dependent on him, but somewhere along the way we lose that. But when, we, when you think about as, as babies, how we need to have that attachment with our primary caregivers, and a lot of the patterns that we develop or have developed as adults are related to those attachments with our primary caregivers. And so in our dance with our spouses, a lot of the times we relate to back to those attachment relationships. And, and we may be prompted to feel a certain way in a certain situation. Why? Because we know the last time we were in this situation, it didn't work out, or I was hurt, or no one was there for me. And so helping them to understand their attachment histories and also to understand what this relationship can be like in terms of being secure is going to be really key in terms of putting everything together. John Bowlby, um, one of his quotes is, all of us from cradle to grave are happiest when life is organized as a series of excursions, long or short, from the secure base provided by our, our attachment figures. And so there are different types of attachments. We have the secure and we have the insecure. 
The secure attachment, a person is better able to acknowledge and cope effectively with negative emotions. What that means is that if something comes up, they're more resilient to that. They're able to regulate their emotions in the face of conflict. When, there is, when someone is insecurely attached, if you will, they may be avoidant or anxious. They may be avoidant in a way where a person often attempts to block out negative emotions and are uncomfortable seeking support. And then the other is anxious. A person is highly emotionally expressive, but often cannot regulate their emotions. You see the difference? Okay, so it's important to kind of see this as you're working with clients to understand, you know, who in the relationship, what, what might you have in terms of couples and, and how they may be attached or, or not and what those dynamics look like. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so moving along to, um, you know, the assessment. So we're keeping attachment in mind. We're keeping the pattern in mind. But before we even get started with couples, what we have to do is we have to assess whether or not they're even appropriate for EFT. I have made this mistake where I have attempted to do EFT with couples and they weren't appropriate. Um, and the reason, in my experience, is because one person was already checked out. And so when one person is already checked out, and this is, this is what happens. People, people come to us when they are done. And so, and that's hard to work with because then, you know, they kind of miss that window of opportunity. And what can happen is you become more invested than they are, right? Because you start thinking, what am I doing wrong here? You're not. That person's checked out. So, I mean, you could do cartwheels. It's not going to matter. One person is checked out. So you have to be able to, prop to properly assess that. Um, you have to, um, in the assessment phase, you have to create a collaborative a therapeutic alliance, meaning that both people have to understand that you are there for both of them. If you're a woman and you're really facilitating the emotion with the other woman, guess what's going to happen with the man? He's going to feel like, I'm in trouble, right? And if you do it with the man, this other woman's going to feel like, what's going on here? How come she's not addressing my needs and so, so you have to be able to really really be able to express to both of them that you're there for both of them and to field their emotions and let them know up front what the process is going to look like and that way they already know that you're going to be there for both you are there for their union for both of them okay so you're going to explore uh, the relationship and then in terms of therapy are they compatible and appropriate do not use EFT if there's an active affair. If there's an active affair, it's not going to, whether the other person knows about it or not, you can't work with that because what that's, that person is already half out of the relationship. And not only that, but it's really not safe for the other partner. So don't use it if there's an active affair, if one or both partners are not committed to the process, if one person is already checked out. And so you have to be able to ask the questions about their level of commitment and are they both willing to go through this process. And you'll be able to know by their responses whether or not they are. Or if there's a serious mental illness present in one or both of the partners. That can be a, a really big problem if it's not treated. Now, if someone is being treated, and this is something that has been done, and if someone is treated for whatever it may be, um, whatever mental illness, there may be, if one person is being treated for it and getting help for that, then it can work. But if it's someone who's untreated for mental illness, then it's going to be a problem because it's, 
one person is going to be doing more of the work and they're not going to be able to break through to the barriers because of the symptoms of that the mental illness may uh, be exposing in the relationship. Okay. Um, and then what you're going to do is you're going to let them know what's, what to be expected in a number of sessions. And this depends on really you and, and your ability. And here, I think it's, if you're a lay counselor, I think it's like six sessions. Um, and so you may just tell them, and emotionally focused therapy takes a lot longer than that usually to go through the process. So, um, you know, if, you're, if you have a practice or something that you're doing outside of here, just bear that in mind. Or within the time that you have, you might just try to guide them through this process the best that you can and to just let them see what the dance is like and how they have an opportunity to create a different dance. And then um, assess the relationship, the perception of problems and strengths, the cycles, negative and positive, when things aren't working, when things are working, relationship history, the key events, um, there are some times when people get stuck because there has been some type of trauma involved or some type of event that has occurred that they can't seem to get past. An example of this may be something had happened at some point in their relationship and the partner said, one of the partners said, I will never do that again. I will never make that mistake again. You know what I mean? You know, some of you have been there or heard it. And what that means is until you hit that particular event, until you address that, they are not going to be vulnerable. You've got to be able to diffuse that in this setting where they know that it can be safe because if you don't, they're not going to open up. You, you will be able to get so far, but then the one partner is still going to be so reluctant that you're, you're going to see it. You're going to know that there's a problem in the process because this partner is not opening up. So you've got to be able to identify what that is and, and look at what that event did to the partner. Okay, and then look at their, uh, do a brief attachment history because it's not, with emotionally focused therapy, you're helping them to relate to each other. It's not, you're not doing individual counseling, although what you will do is you'll meet with them. You'll probably meet with them as a couple and then after one or two sessions, you'll meet with them individually to get just a little bit of what their attachment histories were like. What's the relationship like with their parents? What was that like? Because when you bring them together as a couple, you're going to see these patterns. And, and sometimes what may happen is, um, let's say with a man, he's you know, saying, well, you know, I just feel so um, inadequate. I just can't seem to do anything right with her. No matter what I do, it's just not good enough. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and no matter what I do, it's just not good enough. And, and it, that might be really helpful um, to the therapist and to the, the client because you can say, and this is not the first time you felt that way, is it? This, you felt like this before. There are other you know, people in your life growing up that you felt this way with. And, and what's neat too is that whether the emotion was in childhood or whether it's an adult, the emotion is an emotion at any given point in time. You still feel that emotion just as strongly as if it was then or if it's now. The emotion is still present. And so it brings up that hurt. So it, it's just that trigger. Well, that's really good information because that has to do with the attachment history, how secure that person felt. If that person felt judged, felt inadequate. Let's say the man couldn't do anything right. His mom was always just judging him and, and just, you know, telling him that, you know, well, you can do better, you can do better. Or when something was done, oh, well, that's, that, that looks good, but you didn't do that right. 
And as parents, we try really hard, right, <laughs> to do our best, and we don't realize how a child interprets that information. And so we don't know a lot of the times until they're adults how that information was interpreted. And so to be able to really um, help that person understand what that pattern was like then and what that pattern is like now, okay? Um, to observe the interaction and to, oh, it's always important to check for violence and abuse, which is another situation that we, you know, if there's an active abuse going on, that's another thing that we have to um, pay attention to in terms of EFT. If, if that's going on, that, you know, you have to really probably do more individual therapy or, you know, that really is something that we have to um, make sure is not happening. So the best that we can or, or deal with it, make sure whatever spouse needs help gets help. Um, so, but just to see what the history has been. It could be that this couple in their younger days, it, you know, got a little wild and crazy and threw things or did whatever. Or maybe, maybe they, there's some verbal abuse that's continuing to go on that, you know, can be addressed. And what that does, what that does to the couple, even saying, uh, you know, well, you know, you don't, um, you know, you're a, you're a loser. You don't, you know, you don't do anything right. And, and I know it sounds pretty harsh in here, but you are going to find, if, if you see some of the, the same client type of clients that I see, you're going to hear a lot worse than that, what couples will say and what couples will do, especially behind closed doors, just how bad it can get. And what you, you, you wouldn't even dream of saying to your worst enemy, isn't it funny how you say that to your spouse? One of the professors that I knew it, um, UTA would, was saying that one day she, um, she saw her husband's socks on the floor and um, she went over and picked him up and she was just, you know, why don't you pick your socks up off the floor? I'm just so sick of picking your socks up off the floor and just, you know, let him have it. And she stopped herself and she realized, you know what, this is my husband. And if it was, you know, I wouldn't treat one of my guests this way. I wouldn't say this to anybody else. So why am I saying it to him? Which is really interesting, right? Okay. So to really help them to understand really how you know, we are in this dynamic, how things can go wrong. And, and usually once those things come out of our mouth, damage is done, right? Those things are stuck in our minds and you can't take it back. And so those, you have to be able to unravel that and you've got to be able to process it. I mean, not everything, but the general pattern of it. And then uh, assess progno uh, prognostic indicators like the degree of reactivity and the strength of the attachment, and then openness or response to the therapist engagement. And so you'll get all of that. You'll see through the process how receptive they are to it. And when you're in that moment, see, it sounds really good in here, but what can happen is when you're there and, and the reality of it, you have, you know, two people that may be just sitting there not wanting to say anything, right? What do you do with that? Well, it's about, with EFT, it's about slowing it down. It's about seeing what's right in front of you. You don't have to dig deeper and try to figure out, you know, that's going to present itself. But what you need to do is you need to sit there, or what you can do is, is you can sit there and say, yeah, it's, it's pretty quiet in here. I'm, I'm wondering what's happening. Is there a reason why nobody wants to say anything? What is this silence like for you? What is this? Is it doing anything for you? You just point out the obvious. Point out what's there. If you have um, 
a, um, let's say the husband is silent and the wife has been going on and on and on about what's gone wrong in the relationship and the husband is silent. Um, well, John, yeah, I can see that you're really, you're really quiet right now. This, this may seem like a lot to take in. And you might, you know, nod and, yeah, and, and he might say a few things and, and really start to um, get into how he feels. And guess what might happen when that, when that occurs? Yeah, she's going to jump in. That's not true. That is not what happens. And so how do you handle that? So you turn to her and say, this is really hard for you to hear, isn't it? This is hard for you to hear what's going on, to hear what he's saying, to hear what his experience is like. This is really, really hard. But you don't want to focus so much on her because maybe this time you need to focus on him. And, and so you have to be able to feel that properly and say, okay, I get this is really big for you. Let's, let's give John a minute to, to talk about what this is like for you. And then, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand what this may be like for you. Or, or I'm, I'm with you. You know, I got, my favorite thing is I got it. I got it. Okay? And John, so, so, so you were saying this, this, you know, and then let him go where it needs to go. And what is it like for you to hear her say that that's not true? You see, it's just what, whatever is right in front of you. Because this is what happens when they're at home. So they can, you can give them all sorts of information, but it may do nothing for their actual dance when they're at home. They might come back and say, well, we, you know, we understood what you were saying, and we, we were so on board with it, but when we got home, we did the same thing all over again. Right? But if you process that dance when they're right in front of you, then you give them something to actually work with when they're not in your office. And so, but it takes a while moving through those steps and getting them to open up. But, but that's why it takes a while is because you have to go through it. You have to wait until they feel safe enough and open up enough to be able to reconnect and reestablish a different dance. Okay. So in terms of the stages, um, stage one is de-escalation. Now, what you should also know about, about EFT is it's, it's fluid. You know, you might, you might go through a couple of steps and then you might jump back to number one or you might go through all the way through stage two and then it, you might come back. And it's not like you're going to go boom, 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 boom. Okay, we're done. It doesn't happen that way. It's not that easy. It can go up and down in terms of the steps. And so if you need to, it's okay to go back. It's okay to revisit because you just want to make sure that they get it. You want to make sure that they're where they need to be, and you're just going to be there and, and be present with what's in front of you, but to keep it moving as you go along. Okay, so you want to establish a safe therapeutic alliance and begin the assessment. We talked about that. You want to identify the negative cycle and secondary emotion, the attachment issues. So, you know, in terms of when they start talking about their primary emotion, and I just get so sick of it, I'm just so fed up with it, and, you know, I just go so angry with him. Yeah, that anger. Yeah, I can see. You know, I can see on your face. I can see in, in just in your body. You just seem to be really tense when you talk about that. That anger is, is really, um, really big, really big in your life right now. Yes, it is, and I'm just so frustrated. And so tell me what that frustration is like. What is it, what is it doing to you? you know, and as they kind of process how they feel about that and not just what's going on in their life and how that might spill over into their other areas, but what is that like physiologically? Like physically, what is that doing to you? What, 
Well, it just, you know, I can tell my blood pressure. I can tell, you know, do I get shaky? I, yeah, that's, you know, that's really, that's powerful. That's really powerful. And, and so as, as you start working with them, you're going to be able to see that they're going to still start say, saying things that, that sound like the secondary emotion, like the fear or the hurt. And so you can then start to use some empathic conjecture about, yeah, I'm wondering, so you mentioned that sometimes you feel hurt or you feel scared when this happens, you know. So can you talk about, about that? So maybe when you're really angry, what I hear you saying is that you might be scared. You might be scared about some things. What do you think that's about? And then they're going to really start moving into that. They're going to really, then they're going to start, then that's when you're probably going to see more of the real emotional response where the tears may start to come, right? And when you see that, and I don't want to say that when you see tears, you got it, but usually when something is, is big like that, that's usually how, I mean, that's a good indicator for me that that's how I know I'm where I am because it's so big, it's so overwhelming, which is what it is. And when it's overwhelming and it starts bringing the tears or that emotion that's so overwhelming to them, you get something from that, then you know that's where it is, usually. Wow, yeah, so you feel really scared. And, and, and so tell me what that fear is about. Well, I'm afraid he's going to leave me. I'm afraid he's going to leave me. And, and sometimes, and so after you've met with him individually, you might have a piece of information. Yes, and, and this is not the first time that someone left you. What else does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me that my dad left when I was six. And I'm afraid that I'm, I don't want to ever deal with that hurt again and that fear of him leaving. See, and that's where it is. That's where it's at. That's really good. So just to help them identify the primary and the secondary emotion and what that, you know, how that fits in. And to, because what you're doing is helping them to be aware. So when they're at home with their spouse, you know, when they start moving into that negative cycle, you can't take that information away once it's there. You with me? Once it's there, you can be more aware. And remember the last time I talked about catching yourself? You guys remember that? You know, even on an individual level, they can help to catch themselves when they start slipping into that. And, and as we move along, we can help the client to understand that, you know, when you do that, maybe when you start to feel yourself being angry, you can also process what that's about and how maybe you can move into what the real emotion is, that secondary emotion. Okay. And so you want to be able to um, uh, assess the underlying attachment emotions, the interaction, interactional positions and cycles, and then frame the problem. Reframe the problem as the cycle, not the partner. Ref and then validate the secondary emotions and process the primary emotion. So you want to frame it as when this happens, when you feel that fear, this is how you react and this is how he reacts and this is your dance. This is what happens. Okay, so the, the, the cycle, the negative cycle is the problem in the relationship, not being married to him. See, this is what, you know how people mistake that. I, I married the wrong partners. Well, if you married somebody else, you're going to have the same problem. So, you know, you have to be able to help them identify it as the dance of what's going on. Okay, and then stage two, you're looking at um, accessing implicit needs, fears, and models of self. Help them, at this point, you're going to help them turn to each other. See, when you're just getting this information, um, you're going to be learning, and they may be talking with you. They may be talking to each other a little bit. But in the second part, when you start accessing their implicit needs and fears and, and about who they are, you're going to help them 
talk to each other. After a few sessions, once you, you get this information, and th let's say the wife says, I'm just really scared, and you know, I, I'm trying to open up to him, and, and so when I say this to him, he says that, and, and I just feel like I'm, I'm back to where I was before. I feel like I can't relate to him. Okay, well, that's really good information. So what you're saying is, is that when you feel very fearful and you ask him for help, you're afraid he's not going to be there for you. You're afraid that he's not going to respond the way you want him to so that you feel safe. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, can you turn to him and tell him that? Can you turn to him and tell him what you need? Can you turn to him and ask him to be there for you? Uh-huh. And so then, and so then when, you know, he will respond with something. And so, John, what is that like for you to hear her reach out and, and ask for your help? Well, I mean, it's a whole lot better than her telling him a good for nothing, whatever, <laughs> right? So, so then all of a sudden you're, you're bridging the gap. You're bridging the gap. Okay. And then you're going to promote um, acceptance by the other. Again, you're going to expand the dance and asking them to shift into a new dance. So when she says this to you, right, what, do you, how do, how, what does that do for you, John? Well, it makes me want to come closer to her. It makes me want to love her. I does, I'm not as scared of her. I'm not a, afraid of being inadequate when I know that she really wants me to help her. She needs me to help her. You know, I feel like I can, I can be the hero. I can jump in. That's what wanting to be not just adequate, but I'm the man she married. I'm the apple of her eye. I'm getting cold just talking about this. All right. So, um, but it's really powerful to see this happen. And then um, secure the emotional engagement, the, the expression of attachment, wants, and needs. And, it, you know, it sounds really good in here, but it takes a while with couples to get them to this. But the best thing, that, the best um, piece of information I can give you about EFT is you have to be able to slow it down and take what you've got in front of you. What what um, people do and make mistakes with EFT is they want to go so much through the steps that they forget about what's real. You know what I mean? Like they want to move along, but that may not be where your people are at. Just slow it down and take what you've got in front of you. As long as you know overall where you're going with them, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You know that you want them to be able to process their primary and secondary emotions. You know that you want them to talk about a different dance, and then you want to be able to secure that bond. Okay, so being, you know, if you know that's where you're going with them, then you can kind of relax and just slow it down and take what you've got in front of you and just help them to see where they are and to let them know this is a process. You know, you're not going to walk out of here and be cured. It's a process and, and, and we're going to do it together. And you guys are going to be able to walk away with a different dance and a different way of relating to each other. Okay, and then stage three is the consolidation. Facilitate the emergence of new solutions to old problematic relationship issues, new position cycles, enact new stories of problems and repair. So what you're going to do is you're going to help them to really kind of catch when they're doing this and then just kind of slow it down with each other and talk about it. And it may be that they're not going to go home and just have this perfect, but they will. They will have a different type of communication and relationship with each other because they are seeing it differently. They're seeing it differently. They're seeing what these attachment issues are really like for them. They're going to see that when he responds in fear, it's not about that. It's about, or when he responds with anger, it's not about that. It's about underlying feeling. That's his, that's his, his, um, his uh, you know, secondary or his, uh, you know, the emotion where he's really trying to, 
to cover up how he's feeling, and you really want him to, to express what's really there for him. So, um, and then what you're going to do is you're going to consolidate these new um, patterns, these cycles of attachment. So you're going to help them to see that, that when they communicate in this different way, when they relate to each other in this different way, that they can move forward. And it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have problems and issues. You just have to be able to understand what they're about. And what that does is it de-escalates the emotional charge, the negative emotional charge, when, when they can see it differently. Okay. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the techniques that we use in doing this. It's not in your handout. All right, some of the things that we can do in different aspects of this is you want to be able to, like in, with steps three and four, the de-escalation. And with, with the withdrawer and the pursuer, the withdrawer often feels rejected, inadequate. So the withdrawer is the one who's, who's the quiet one. Uh, rejected, inadequate, maybe afraid of the failure, overwhelmed, numb or frozen, judged and criticized. They may feel shame and empty. And the pursuer may feel hurt, alone, unwanted, invisible, abandoned, desperate, disconnected, and deprived. Wow. Wow. Think about that. But this is, this is reality for a lot of people. They just really feel as they're going along in their day, they know that when they get home, this is what they've got. And they no longer look forward to going home to the one place where they can feel safe. And they don't feel safe there because they have these huge emotions going on. So you can see, I mean, just how big that is. And so um, with de-escalation, certain things that you can do is you can use reframing. You've got to frame the cycle, remember. And the evocative responses. Like, for example, what is it like to be waiting, wondering whether his anger will come, whether it will be safe or whether things will explode? What is that like? See, some of the techniques, this is evocative, the evocative responses. What is it like? And then with ref reframing, here's an example of reframing. Her silence is hard for you, isn't it? Her silence is really hard. It leaves you alone, lost, not knowing what's going on for her. So all you can do is try to reach her even if you get her anger. Her anger is better than the silence that's so scary. See, so what you're doing is you're just looking at what's there, right? And you're just, you're taking what was given to you by what they're saying, and you're just giving it back. And when you, what you're doing essentially is you're validating that. You're validating, I get it. Did you guys watch the movie um, Avatar? Isn't that a cool movie? Anyway, I love this line. It's so cool. But the I see you, remember that I see you? That's what you're saying to your clients. I get it. I see it. I see it. Okay? And so, you know, you're helping them to really, by using these techniques, the, evoc the evocative responses, the reframing, you're saying, I get it. I get it. And, and your, the evocative responses is like, let's go a little further. Let's go a little deeper here. Let's see what we've got. And then with um, steps five and six, 
you're looking at expanding and heightening emotions. Okay, and so, um, you know, expanding and, and looking and heightening the emotions. You know, you're looking at, um, you know, having them open that up a little bit more. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that's like for you? Or so when he does that, you know, tell me, tell me, where you go with it? What happens to you? Tell me, you know, you're, you're basically having them expand the emotion. Okay. And then um, the, um, the heightening is, is when you can, um, when they say something that seems to be profound. And, and, and a lot of the times when they say something that's profound, they kind of want to skim over it. <laughs> Sometimes they may, they may, you know what I mean? Like they may drop a bomb and they're trying to s just kind of scurry away from it. But wait a minute, did I just hear you say, did I just hear you say that you're terrified? You're terrified. Wow. That's pretty big. That's the heightening. You're, you're, you're taking what they said and you're heightening that to say, that's powerful. That's not something we want to really s skip over because that could have a lot of implications here in this dance. Wow, that's, you're terrified, wow. So that's, these are some of the techniques that you can use with them during these, these different steps. So you've got the, um, you've got the evocative responding, you've got the heightening, you've got empathic conjecture, and you've got the expanding um, the emotion as well. Okay. And let's see. You're helping them to really see, you know, how um, to open up, well, open up what this is like for them, to see that this is what's involved in the dance. You know, what are all the little tidbits? What are all the things that they get hung up on? Where do they get caught? And you want to be able to kind of lay them out there because, again, once they're aware of that, that's good information because then that will help them to catch when they're going to get into that dance. It can help them to figure out when they're going to slip into it and how to be aware and to really catch themselves feeling their real emotion. Okay. And then the consolidation part with um, the last few stages and what we're, we're doing is we're consolidating. We want them to see that they can create, they've developed a new interaction with each other, and it seems to be that they have, they have they have come on higher ground now. And it's like they get it with each other. It's like I get when she, as a matter of fact, and I'll just share this with you, there are times, and it's highly annoying, but it's okay because I understand it, my husband will start laughing at me when, when I'm frustrated or whatever. He'll start laughing. And it's actually, I get it though, but this is part of our dance. He will start laughing because when I'm frustrated, he knows it's no longer about me or about him. He knows that it's about me needing to do my thing and have every, all my little ducks in a row, and, and he knows it's not about him. And, and so he, he kind of chuckles about that because he knows it's safe, and, and I know that when he chuckles, I know he's got it. It's, it's really weird. John Gottman does um, you know, a lot of, of work. And as a matter of fact, attachment theory, attachment theory, um, EFT, has drawn from the work of attachment theory and also some of John Gottman's work. The people, Leslie Greenberg and Susan Johnson, are the ones that really were the, are the authors of EFT. And they have um, drawn from attachment theory, and they also draw from John Gottman's work. I don't know if you've heard of John Gottman, but it really a lot of what EFT does relates to John Gottman. 
And John Gottman has a book called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Have you heard of it? Good book. And it's based on years and years of research in his love lab. And he can predict, after viewing couples for about five minutes, I believe is what he says in the book, he can predict with like 90, 91% accuracy whether or not they will divorce. Yeah. Because of where they are with each other and, and their dance and their style, whether or not they get it, whether, you know. So he proposes, well, he looks at what goes wrong in this dynamic, the first part of it, what goes wrong, and then the second half of the book includes the seven principles for making marriage work. And one of the things that he says that's really, really important is if he were to narrow it down to one of the key things that helps to make marriage work is what's called the repair attempts, the repair attempts. Now, a repair attempt is um, something that will de-escalate the emotion that makes us flood. Now, let me back up. Flooding is when, you know, when you get into this argument with your spouse, and you know, you know when you're flooding because you start saying things that you would never say. The no holds barred, right? You know what I'm saying, right? Shake your head if you're with me. Like, uh, okay, so then you start saying things that are completely wheels off, and it, you know, no, there's no, you know, boundaries. It's just everything's going to come out. Okay, that usually entails flooding. And flooding, you don't have to get into the um, down and dirty of it all to, to have the flooding. But the flooding is where you start feeling um, so aroused emotionally in terms of the negative emotion that you ha you're having a, a physiological response to it. And it relates to the fight and flight or freeze uh, in terms of, of our nature, of how we respond to threat, how we respond to conflict. And after a period of time, that emotional response can be so great. When we experience that repeatedly, we want out. We need relief. We, now, the key word is need. We need relief because we can't physiologically stay in that emotional state and be safe in terms of how, and not taking a physical toll on our bodies. So what he says about this, it, this is why couples get, it gets really dangerous, and this is where we see the negative cycles, negative dance with people. And so he's, what he says in there is that if couples who are successful, couples who stay together, doesn't mean they don't get into really bad fights, but they have repair attempts. They know how to de-escalate it before it gets to that point of flooding, when you're, like, over the top. And a repair attempt, one of the... Um, one of the examples that he gives is about a couple who's been married for a long time. I can't remember now how, how long, but they've been married for a long time. And they um, would notice it. They, he noticed that when they would get into this fight, or they, they disclosed to him when they would get into a fight that was really bad, all of a sudden one of them would just stick their tongue out. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, okay, well, how can you get mad at that? So what that did, though, that repair attempt de-escalated it, Right? It, and every couple has their own thing when it comes to this. And so when you can, and, and I think this too is based on knowing that having those, uh, those secure attachments, knowing that it's safe with your partner, he's not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. You eliminate the threat, you see. And then you can teach them to have some of these repaired, or, or they will start seeing that they can do this in their relationship. They can have a repair attempt. My, um, uh, one of the repair attempts with my husband and I, because 
my husband was a bachelor for a very long time. Well, I mean, I was single for a long time. I didn't get married until I was 33, almost 34. And so my, my husband is older than I am, and um, he's just used to being a bachelor. I just, God love him. You know, he, you know, he says some things, and I'm thinking, is that even, when was it ever appropriate to say to anybody? You know, so... And so I have learned to just kind of take this in stride that it's not about me. And so when he drops a bomb in front of me, I'll just start counting. Five, four, three. And he starts laughing because I, I give him, it's a five-second rule. I give him five seconds to say something nice or he's in trouble. <laughs> and so, and we joke around about this, but, but it's, it's a repair attempt. Now, I mean, I don't take it, but this is what I've done, and, it, and it, it, we start laughing. I can't tell you how hard we get to laughing about some of these things. But it's just one of our little repair attempts. I used to, I used to get upset with that. You know, I, I used to really go there with him. You know, like, that's not ever okay to say. And so now, and, and he knows, he knows it too. He knows, and I've expressed what that does to me. And, and so now when he does it, and, you know, I just kind of remind him, that's crossed the line. But I know, I know that he loves me. I know, see, but that, that secure base is there. And so with couples, sometimes they don't know that that's secure. And this is where EFT comes in. We have to help them to know that it's secure. And they can, then they can get to the point where they can start integrating some of these things to help diffuse the emotional responses that make them flood. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, now, in terms of and with EFT, with some of the research that they've done, 70 to 73% of, of improvement has occurred for, for couples in clinical trials. And it's useful also in terms of individually dealing with infidelity and trauma issues and also eating disorders, just a little tidbit. And one other, I don't know if I have it in this book or not. I have, I've done a few different trainings with EFT, and I can't remember where my, my one book is, but something that they have talked about, and I can't remember... Um, the percentage, but I do know that um, the, for EFT, with the um, successful results with couples, it relates quite a bit to the female feeling safe in the relationship. The female feeling safe. Now, it's important for the man, too, but one of the things that stood out in their evaluation was that the female felt safe in the relationship. And that was one of the keys to really making the whole process work. So just another little tidbit of information. So anyway, um, and I could go into this a whole lot. I have not a whole lot of time uh, left, but just to kind of do a little overview with you. So it's important to do an effective assessment because if you don't, if you don't, if you think you can just do it with anybody, you're going to waste a lot of time. Trust me on this one. So you've got to make sure that they're compatible, there's not an active affair, they're committed, and there's not a serious illness present, or let me add the other one to that, or there's not active abuse. And then with um, the stages, the first stage, you've got the de-escalation, really helping them to see the cycle. And then stage two is restructuring the bond, changing the patterns, right, and helping them to move into that safe pattern. And then three, you want to help them to consolidate that. You want to help them to make sure that that's secure in their interaction with each other. And then you can go from there with them in terms of even the consolidation, helping them to understand what they can do with the um, repair attempts and, and to de-escalate their emotion. There's a lot more involved with EFT, and I could um, entertain some of that. And I, you guys might have some questions. So, um, Paul, let me ask you, do you want to take a break and then come back and do questions? Or do you want me to just field questions right now? Okay. Well, let's see. Do you guys have any questions about it? Yes? 
the steps. Uh, stage one on your handout. Do you have your handout? Okay. Well, there are three stages. There's stage one, there's stage two, and stage three. The steps under de-escalation, you've got four, one through four. And then with stage two, you've got five, six, and seven. And with stage three, you've got eight and nine. That's kind of, I try to go as close to the outline as possible. It's, it's quite complicated. Did you get that? Did you not have that? Okay. All right. It's okay. Yes. Um, Carrie, when you were talking about assessment and uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned mental illness and things that would kind of um, rule out using. Or interfere with it. Yeah. yeah um, you didn't mention substance abuse, and I just wanted ah. to check with you about that. Yeah. Substance uh, abuse would also be included in that. If there's okay. a active substance abuse, right. that treatment for that person, the more individual counseling would be recommended in that situation. That really needs to be treated. Or some kind of recovery process. Because that, that's almost seen as an affair. Right. I mean, it has the same trust issue as, as an affair. And I just wanted to ask you a favor to go back and, and um, say again that list of adjectives about the pursuer and yep, the withdrawer. Yep. Yes, let me do. I know that was. Let me see. Now, Ruth, you got to make me find it now all over again. All right. Bear with me just a second. I didn't have a dog eared. I'm getting there. Let me see where it is. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Okay. All right, you ready? Okay, withdraw. I'm just going to do the withdraw. Withdraw. Rejected. Inadequate. Afraid of failure. Overwhelmed, numb slash frozen, afraid slash scared, not wanted or desired, judged or criticized. Bless you. Shame and empty. Shame and empty. And this is this is really good. I'm I'm glad you asked me to repeat this because when you're working with clients, you you can use this right, and in terms of your empathic conjecture. Okay, I wonder. Okay, my my people in here that know me know that I like. I wonder. Anyway, okay. Pursuer, hurt, alone, unwanted, invisible, isolated. Not important, 
abandoned, desperate, disconnected, deprived. Yes, sure. Do you find that this is an area where homework in between sessions could be helpful? And if so, how do you approach that? Um, yes. I mean, you could do some homework. And as a matter of fact, um, homework can take on a couple of different um, characteristics. It could be that you ask them to, um, well, in John Gottman's book, he has activities in, in his book about what couples can do to understand each other's love languages, to understand what their days are like with each other, you know, just to get what's going on. But uh, with EFT, what's, what's even more important is, is, and what I would give for homework, is to pay, in, pay attention to their dance. Pay attention to when they have this negative cycle, what, what that's like. And maybe at the end of the day, debrief that. Debrief what happened. You're welcome. Oh, if... Uh I guess if there was an event in the past that happened to somebody and they get very comfortable with the position and it's their outward as anger, uh, but they just won't identify that or, or, or talk about it, what, uh, what do you recommend? I would, I would recommend, I mean, some, though, so there was some type of um, attachment injury is what you're saying? More, more physical abuse. Physical abuse? Um, Okay, um, so f first of all, um, well, let me, just, let me just see if I can get on the same page with you. So how would you know as a therapist that that, that has occurred? If he's not willing to talk about it, give me some insight as to what would give me the... So she knew it happened, but she, she won't, you know, address that issue, and it keeps coming back and, you know, in an anger issues, you might say. Mm -hmm. um, well, you're going to be with her where she is at that time. Um, you, you're probably you're going to meet with them individually, and then when that comes up, you're going to you're going to talk about. And if she's disclosed that, then when that anger comes, up, you're going to process that anger with her. So talk about that. You're going to get her to move into her secondary emotion. See, they're not going to stay um, in that first level of emotion too long without it being seen as it's not really about that. It's about something underlying. So when you get her into that that other level of emotion then you're going to be able to get her to talk more realistically about what that hurt and what about that mistrust and about, and so she'll start to see it as that. Now, whether or not she's willing to talk about the actual abuse, if she's talking about the hurt related to it, you can still go somewhere with that. It may be that um, over time, it would take a while, but over time you'll be able to really kind of smooth it. You'll be able to go further and further down with her over time once she feels safe because the reason she's not talking about it is she doesn't feel safe so you have to create that that safety with her now um, and it's amazing how this can happen when when she does feel safe. the reason she's not talking about it well let me ask you why do you think she's not talking about it so she's kind of just happy even though she's miserable well, that's a good thing to point out. 
Um, so to say, to maybe to say, um, so she's really, she's, all right, so what, me, what makes you think she's happy? Can, can we, yeah, can we maybe move on to the other questions? Um, I, I think. Uh, You're welcome to talk to me about that afterwards. Yeah, I think it'd be good. Uh, uh, okay. what, I, what I think it's pointing out is that there are people who are not ready to yes. deal. But if they show up in, y in your room, then you can gently probe for that. Just like you were saying, Carrie, you know, when have you felt this before? Yes. And it'll, if the person shows up in the room, they're either going to leave which some, when, they, when you get close to the issue or they're going to deal. Right. But, um, but if we could, we've got several yes. other questions. Okay. I have a twofold question. Okay. Number one, how do you, or what is more information about the primary and secondary emotions? Maybe is there some other verbiage like you had for the, withdraw and the pursuer mm -hmm. on what those emotions are and how do you know if there is an active affair or substance abuse or any of those um, other situations do you ask that or is that do you get that yeah. information I mean from you would you would want to ask that probably individually with them and part of the assessment you'd want to see if you could get that information um, they'll probably, you know, by just asking it directly, because you want to make sure that you know what you're dealing with up front. Um, and then in terms of, um, so, um, you know, the primary emotions are the initial reactions to a given situation. They need to be assessed to promote adaptive responses. This, now, are you looking for examples? Like, um, like the uh, like anger, irritation, um, you know they might be yelling really you know those those types of things. The secondary emotions um, are responses to the initial like the primary emotion, then response to the primary emotion, not to the situation that elicit the initial emotional response. And so you know, really what you're wanting to do with the secondary emotion is really get them involved in what that is about for them. You know, really help them to understand what's behind the anger. What, so usually with, with the, um, the anger, there's something else behind that, right? Like hurt, fear, something like that. Does that make sense? Yes. Carrie, um, in looking at the assessment, okay, mm -hmm. you've mentioned emotional and physical uh, things to look at in getting to the assessment. Do, but do you find there needs to be a spiritual connection? Oh, yeah. And, and that needs to be probed maybe individually to make sure they're on the same page there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, because you want to make sure that they're where they're, because, and I'm just a firm believer that if they're not where they need to be emotionally and, and vertically aligned with God, then, I mean, their commitment to the whole process is because they're going to try to do it on their own. You know, and they need to be able to, well, and to integrate, you know, the prayer into this too, and to pray that their eyes are going to be opened to this process, to understand the healing power that Christ has in, this, in, in our lives in general and with each other, that he's not too big. And, and, and we know too, you know, praying together at the end of the day and really coming together and, and debriefing what's going on and, and understanding why they do what they do out of their hurts, out of you know, being misled, whatever. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, I know there are several of those that have questions. Let's do this. If you will write those questions down, give them either to Carrie or me during the break, and then she'll have a chance to field those um, when we come back. Is that good? That sounds good. Yeah. Um, uh, 
the, um, the cool thing about working with believers is that we have the presence of God with us in the room. And when we invite him through prayer to uh, join with us, that sense of safety, the sense of peace, the sense of confidence that at the end of the day all will be well is so greatly enhanced. And um, it's one of the things I love about the practice mm-hmm. that I have is that, is that um, even, even if people have a very hazy concept of God or a very insecure connection with him through inviting God to be present, um, you can actually see them begin to find that secure bond with God himself so that it becomes safer to risk um, in the relationship as, as if, you know, that safety net mm-hmm. under the trapeze, that it allows you to let go of your defenses uh, because it's, even if your partner fails to catch you, um, you've got a, you've got a uh, safety net that God will be there. Yeah, so. and I'm, I'm totally convinced that couples find their, their strength to go through this process through, you know, the power of Christ to move forward. Yeah. I mean, and even um, probably most of you would agree um, that just experiencing this in, in your own lives, I mean, that, that he can do things that we could never, never do. I mean, really, this this isn't going to work without him. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's got to be really, I see the, the foundation. I mean, some, you know, couples can go through it and, and whatever, but, you know, I know and I have seen, even in my own life, just, I mean, God doing things that there's no way that I could do with all of my infinite brilliance. Yeah. Ha ha. All right. So, you know, seriously that, you know, I mean, he's, it's just how, you know, how it is in terms of, I know my truth and really helping clients to see that too. It's amazing how when, when I, you know, talked with, with some of my clients about praying, you know, have you prayed about it? Oh no, I haven't, you know. So it's always a good place to start. Beautiful. Well, let's just end with that, too. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a prayer, and then um, it'll be right at 1130. So if you will um, take a quick break, we are going to have lunch right around noon. So we've got time for a little session. I want to cover some more some more ground before we have our lunch. Um, after lunch, we're going to hear from Janet Nicholas about divorce, remarriage, step families. There she is back there. Um, let's pray and then... In, and make it a quick break because we are going to be um, having our lunch break uh, fairly soon. We want to cover some more ground. Again, if you have a question, please write it down and give it to us. God, we thank you for um, the secure bond that we can have with you. We thank you for the fact that you honor our emotions and that you invite us to cast our cares on you, to engage with you from the heart, that you are unafraid to go with us into those uncharted territories, that rough waters, um, that you are willing to be with us. And God, in our marriages, we just pray for those of us who are married or those of us who um, engage with others as they deal with the um, challenges of marriage, that we would do so with a strong conviction that you will give us what we need. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, just thank you for Carrie and for her wisdom for her generosity. Bless her. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, we'll um, take a quick break and get back here as quick as you can.